Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Welcome you. Welcome those that are watching on, on Facebook. I'm glad that you've, you've made a decision to be here. And I really think that's what really we need to do in our lives, uh, making church kind of a keystone habit for our lives. One of those things that we say, you know what, no matter what, we're going to be in church. Not like, do I feel like going to church today? Uh, the, the default is, I'm getting to church. If I got breath in my lungs, I'm going to church. I'm, I'm worshiping God. I'm going to be with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know every time that I come, I, I walk away thankful that I gathered in the house of the Lord. And I, I, I pray that for you, that, that you walk away today, and that's the experience that you've had with the living God. Uh, open your Bible, if you would, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8. We're going to continue this series, Hope Epidemic. Uh, if um, you're reading ahead, I just want to let you know where we're going to be next week. So we're in Matthew 8 this week. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 next week, Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. Uh, we'll also be in Luke, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, and then Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. So that's where we'll be next week if you'd like to, to read ahead. Uh, last week, if you've gathered with us, you recall we were in the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says, you, believers, you are the salt of the earth. We talked about the fact that we have been branded by God. We, we are remarkably marked by the maker. We carry his image with us. We've been made alive by Christ. His spirit is on the inside of us. And he says, now, you are the salt of the earth. And being the salt of the earth, whatever salt comes into contact with, it makes a difference. And we said, if we're going to make a difference in this world when we come into contact with it, we're going to need to be remarkable. We don't want to look like the rest of the world, behave like the rest of the world. We want to be so marked by Christ that it is noticeable. And we talked about showing his kindness. We have received the kindness of God into our lives. He has shown us mercy, withheld his wrath. He has extended his grace, the free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, and that is ours. And so we become his, and then we want to interact with the world around us, showing his loving kindness to others. And we said remarkable acts of kindness should mark those who have been marked by Christ. It says in Romans 2, verse 4, that it is God's kindness that leads us to salvation. It is his loving mercy and patience and kindness that he has extended to us, and now we get to take that love and extend it to others. And so that's why we're doing this thing called Hope Epidemic, and we are not just saying we're Christians, because anybody can say that, we are being Christians, right? We are going to show Christ's love to others. So uh, today, uh, as we talk about this and we talk about hope epidemic, I really do think that uh, it will make kind of an immediate impact in our communities when, when we step up our kindness game. Uh, it's not really a game, but when we step our kindness, uh, I believe it has some local implications, but I think there are eternal implications because everyone is someone who will spend etern eternity somewhere. Everybody's somebody who's going to spend eternity somewhere. And we carry the gospel with us. And, and people aren't going to know that they're loved by God by our, our judgment or pushing them away or clustering ourselves together. But by moving in their direction, sharing the kindness of God, talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and watching the Holy Spirit lead them to repentance. All right? So that, that's hope epidemic. 
Now today what we're going to do, we're going to talk about something that I think all of us have wrestled with at some point in our life. And that is this idea of having hope yet struggling with doubt. Struggling with doubt in our lives. Everybody has this. It's a common experience to humankind. Now, there's this difference when we think about hope and faith. There's a difference between hope and faith. I don't know if you've ever tried to parse those two out in your mind, like, what is the difference? We know there's a difference. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. 13, he says that there is faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love, but he, he measures each one out. So there's a difference between hope and faith, and yet they're linked. I would say the difference is this. Hope is a desire for a preferred future. Hope, hope is a desire for a better outcome. Faith is trust. So I, I could say something like, I, I hope, if I'm down in the valley having a difficult time, I can hope that it's going to get better for me in the future. Faith is, whether or not it gets better or not, I still trust that God is good. Even in the valley, I'm going to put my faith and trust in him. I read a, a quote by John Piper this morning as I was doing more just study for this moment, and I read a quote from him about hope, and, and there's a difference in hope for somebody who's, <clears throat> excuse me, who's a follower of Jesus Christ than the hope that somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and he, he put it like this. He said, biblical hope not, is not only a desire for something good but for the future, but it expects it to happen. So as believers, we don't just have like a, a hope like, ah, I don't know. But when we hope in Christ and we know his promises, we know that his promises are true, that they are sure. So our hope is a little bit different. But what I want to talk about today is, is this fact that, that hope and doubt are both necessary and they're linked. Hope and doubt are linked. I know that sounds kind of strange, like they shouldn't go together, like hope and doubt are more like water and oil. Like, no, those two don't mix and they're on opposite extremes. But I, I think it's not like water and gas. If you've ever had water and gas like in your car tank or in your lawnmower, you know that's not a good combination. But if you, if you can mix oil and gas, that's pretty powerful. And that's what I think that doubt is to hope. I think doubt can propel us to a place of hope, which then leads us and propels us to deeper faith. And so in that sense, hope and doubt are somewhat connected. And, and there's no shortage of doubt in this world. There's no shortage of hopelessness in our world right now. It seems as though uh, you hear about depression being on the rise. And more and more people, they, they have a hopelessness in their life. And everything's dark for them. There's a lot of questions and a lot of doubt in our culture. People wonder, is there really a God? Did that God make this earth? Or, or was it some kind of fortuitous accident that this earth was created? And if there is a God and there's a God who made me, then what does God want with me? Is, is my life purposeful? They, they doubt that their life has meaning. Uh, they, they wonder, you know, what, what, is, what is the reason for bad things happening to good people or good things happening to bad people? And so doubt is common. And for those of us who are believers in this room, if we were honest, we would have to say, even we doubt. Even Christians have doubts from time to time. And I believe that we have doubts because if we didn't, it would really change the way that we live our lives. For instance, I think a lot of Christians doubt the inerrancy of the Bible. They doubt that the Bible is true, otherwise they would do exactly what it says. I think a lot of people who are Christians, they doubt that God is actually watching them all the time. 
and recording everything. Like he is aware. Otherwise, they wouldn't continue to sin or justify sin in their lives and say, well, God's just kind of looking away and I'm going to get away with this and it's not really a big deal to God for me to sin. Like we, we have doubts about that. Some people, they doubt that salvation is found through grace, by faith in Jesus Christ alone and not by works. Otherwise, we'd stop trying to work for God's good favor just so that, God, could you please smile on my life once again so that I can stay in your good graces because I might lose that. No, you would understand it is God's grace that has been given to you. So we have these doubts that kind of run through our minds, and then they begin to affect our lives and the way that we live in Christ. So today what we're going to do, we're going to take a look at both our hope and our doubt, and see if we can find faith right in the middle of it. So in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has just started coming down the mountain. He has just given the Sermon on the Mount. And it took him a lot shorter to go through the Sermon on the Mount than it did us. It took us all of March and April and part of May uh, to do the series up there down here. But Jesus is coming down off of the mountain it's a, a mountaintop experience, and you've got a lot of these mountaintop experiences in the Bible. Uh, I think about Moses, and he's on top of the mountain, and he receives the Ten Commandments, mountaintop experience. I, I think of Elijah, Elijah on the mountain, and he's waiting to hear from God, and God shows up, and he, he whispers, and he encounters the living God. I think of Elijah also on, on Mount Carmel, and that powerful experience that he had with the prophets of Baal, and then God showing up miraculously. I think of Jesus and how Jesus is on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, interestingly enough, both Moses and Elijah showed up on that mountain of Transfiguration looking at one another like, we've been on mountains before, but this is amazing. We are standing with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We see him in all of his glory. This is amazing. Then we see Jesus going up into the mountains time and time again to be alone, to pray, to be with his Father. And you know, when you get into the presence of God, that is a mountaintop experience. When you are in God's presence, you never want to leave that. So Jesus has had this mountaintop experience with the Sermon on the Mount, and now he comes down into the valley. And this is, I think, symbolic of our lives. There are moments in our lives where we're just on top of the mountain. Everything in life is good. It's up and to the right. Everything is great. My faith is flying high, and I'm happy, and nothing can get me down. And then there's these moments where we get down in the valley, where we get down and everything seems heavy and dark. And for me, I'm, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. That's my tendency. And so when I get in the valley, I don't know if you do this, but when I get in the valley, I start to think I'm never getting out. Like it's always going to be like this. I start using these, these never and always kind of words. And down in the valley, it can become just a lot of pressure and dark and difficult and you start to question and even pastor types start to get doubts that anything will ever get better again. And today we're going to call that valley the valley of if. Very short word, but it's the valley of if and doubt. Jesus is on the mountaintop, comes into the valley, and it's a valley of if. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord... If, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Lord, if. If is, is one of those words that has a bit of hope, but it also has doubt in it. Lord, if, if you will. Like, I, I know you've healed other people, Lord, but I'm not quite sure 
that you would do it for me. I've got some doubts, if you will. Next verse says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. And so you gotta imagine that there's this leper and he's had this disease for years and he's been in the valley and it's been low and it's been difficult. And in this moment, in an instant, this is removed from him and immediately he's on the mountain here. Things, have, things are starting to look a lot better for this man. Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So he says, if you will, again, it's, it's a word that is filled with a little bit of hope and it's also filled with a bit of doubt. If, maybe, I don't know, perhaps, could you, would you? I'm not quite sure. Jesus picks up on this word if in another encounter as well and it's found in the book of Mark, Mark chapter nine. We've talked about this before but I, I wanna touch on it again. What you have in, in Mark chapter nine, Jesus is coming down off a mountain again. It was the Mount of Transfiguration. You gotta read about that sometime if you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Jesus is up on that mountain. He's got a few other disciples with him. He's transfigured. They see him in all of his glory. And as he's up there on the mountain, there's this dad that comes by with his son at the bottom of the mountain, down in the valley, if you will. And they're having a time of it because the son is possessed by a demon. And so the dad brings the son thinking he's gonna meet Jesus, but Jesus is up on the mountain, so he gets the disciples. And the disciples try to cast the demon out of the boy, but they couldn't do it. And then the disciples start arguing with the scribes, the religious leaders. So they're having this big argument, and this is the point at which Jesus comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration. He finds everybody arguing, and he says, what's going on? The dad says, hey, I came, I brought my boy. He's possessed by a demon. I, I got your disciples here, but I think I got your disciples in kind of like the interim mode. I, they don't quite have it down. They must be in training. Uh, they maybe have only taken Exorcism 101. We're going to need Exorcism 401 because this is pretty serious. Verse 20 of chapter 9. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. So you got to picture that. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? Which I find very interesting because here you have the boy. He's kind of like convulsing. He's riding on the ground, foaming at the mouth, like big spectacle. And Jesus kind of just kind of steps over him and then talks to the dad. Leaves the boy down there doing his thing. You would think that Jesus would be like, oh, we got like a major issue here. Let's go ahead and take care of this right now. But he has a conversation with the dad. And the reason I think he has this conversation with the dad is because we're going to discover an encounter here that God draws this man into this account so that you and I can learn something. So he says to the father, rather than immediately fix everything, he says, how long has this been happening to him? And the dad says, from childhood. So we got a boy possessed by a demon. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I don't think that there's anything that screams hopelessness like a parent with a sick child, if you've been there before. Right? I mean, as a parent, you're doing everything that you can to make sure that your kid gets well, 
right? You, after you take them to all the doctors and, and you keep hearing the same kind of diagnosis and we're not really sure what's going on and we, we can't fix this thing, there's just this, this weight, this, this valley of doubt and God, are we ever going to get out of this? And will things ever get better? And that's where this father is in this moment. It becomes really hard to handle. So he's feeling that way. And so he, he, he goes to Jesus with maybe some hopes in his heart. Everybody else has said no. Brought him. Jesus not there. Disciples, they failed. Now Jesus is here. Man, I don't really know if this is ever going to get better, if it will ever get better. And he says, if you can do anything. And then Jesus picks up on that doubt. Verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. So Jesus responds here kind of like with, with a statement of, of hope, a statement of, hey, things, things can get better. But also at the same time, if you look at this, he's kind of throwing out his own if statement, kind of hits us right between the eyes. Like, if you can, how about if you believe? How about you, you keep looking at, at me like, if I can, how about if you can? How about if, if you can begin to do something on your own and move in your direction? Yeah, Jesus, that's, that's nice and all, but I thought I'd come to you and I'd get like the three steps to make my, my boy better. Like you would give me that. Or, Jesus, is there an app I can download for this? He's like, no, how about this? How about if you believe? All things are possible, Jesus says, for those who believe. And I think we doubt that. I think we doubt it because if we didn't, then we'd be praying some pretty big prayers right now. Even me. Like if we truly believe that all things are possible for one who believes, what would you be praying for? And I would hope that you, you don't just simply begin to move in the direction of, of selfishness and say, well, if God was just going to give me whatever I wanted, well, I want to win the lottery. Right? Or, or I want to be a famous YouTuber. Or I hope I get to marry that pretty girl. Or I hope that boy asked me to marry him. What would you truly, truly pray for if you knew that the God of the universe could provide for you some kind of breakthrough in your life? If all things are possible for one who believes, who begins to lean into God rather than just expecting everything to be handed to them, what kinds of things, what kind of desires in your heart would you begin to present to this God? As you're down in the valley, what would you pray for? Maybe for you, you're praying, God, there is a besetting sin in my life. There is something in my life, this temptation keeps pulling me back into it, and I keep returning to it like a dog returning to vomit. And God, I'm going to trust you and believe in you that all things are possible, and you can break this chain. You can move me in a new direction, and I can find freedom. What would you pray for in the valley if you began to trust God once again? Perhaps it's a wayward child, a child who is far from God, and you're saying, God, I kind of want to give up hope in this moment, but I'm going to trust you. I'm not letting go. God, grab a hold of his heart. Grab a hold of her heart. God, would you please begin to change them from the inside out? Inside out? Would you begin to move them and transform them by the power of your spirit? God, please, it's a diagnosis. I've, I've heard this. I've heard what the doctor said for my life, for the life of somebody else. But God, I'm going to bring this to you, trusting in you in this valley, knowing that you are a good God who walks with me through the valley, with me, spurring my hope, filling me with your faith. God, I will trust you. What would you pray for? What would you take to God? 
and trust him for. Now, I'm not saying that when you take this to God, you're gonna get the answer that you want. And immediately, like, hey, out of the valley, I'm on the mountaintop and I got everything that I demanded of God. I am telling you that in the valley, you will find Christ. I can promise you that. Because Jesus said he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, and he will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And yeah, you may get the miracle and you're just like on the mountain of hope, like immediately, but I'm telling you, it is the presence of Christ that begins to fill the valley of if with hope and then deeper faith in him. If you're in the valley today, you don't have to stay there alone. You can invite Jesus Christ in. I know some of you came in and you're skeptics. You got like these, these questions and you're not quite sure and you've got a bunch of doubts. You do not have to remain in the valley of doubt alone. In that valley, invite Jesus Christ in. He will take that doubt, begin to move you to hope and then deeper faith in him. And I think in our minds, we just doubt. We have doubts that God would move, that God would provide breakthrough. And sometimes we begin to lose hope. But there is hope. There is Christ. There is a God who performs miracles. And it's not for your glory or for your benefit. It's for his glory and his kingdom and his benefit. But I'm telling you, hope can happen in the middle of your doubt. And miracles can happen when you least expect it. So Jesus says, if you can, I think he probably looks back at his disciples and he says, if you can, like you all have been walking with me and you've seen everybody I've healed already. Then he says, how about if you believe? And then the dad says this, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And that word there, the unbelief, in the Amplified Version says, help my weakness of faith. Have you been there before? I've been there before. I mean, sure, this, this man, he has hope. He's got some faith right there. But there's something in the middle of, of the hope which led him then to doubt. And he genuinely asked God to step into that part of his life. And I think that this is just the natural part of being a human being, this doubt that kind of rolls into our hearts and into our minds from time to time. And so what this man is doing, he's inviting Jesus into this moment, into the hopelessness that he is feeling. Like the, the man's saying, like, I believe and yeah, I doubt. Like I have hope and I fear. I pray and I waver. I ask and I worry. Like I believe, help my unbelief. And so in this valley of if and doubt, the miraculous thing is God responds and Jesus delivers his son of the demon. He tells the demon to get out. The, the boy's on the ground. Everybody's like, he's dead. Like, yeah, he didn't make it. He didn't survive. Jesus is like, nope, he's alive. Picks him back up. Interestingly, uh, later, the disciples are saying, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we get rid of that demon? And Jesus responds, this kind only comes out by prayer. <clears throat> if you grew up in church world, uh, maybe you, you know the King James Version has, has another little word at the end of that. This kind only comes out by prayer and, yeah, got, got a religious group in here today. Like, we, we remember that. And, and I think the reason that he would say this kind of comes out by prayer and fasting is because, once again, this isn't just simply, well, God's going to do everything for me and I don't have to do anything at all. No, there is a part of this where we have to lean into 
him. Like, I am going to pray and I am going to fast. I am going to seek this God, not just simply let him kind of wash over this situation. I will do my part. I will press in and lean in on him. And so some of you, you're in the middle of the valley and you're not quite sure, God, I'd like you to come through. I'd like to download the app because that would be easy. I would like to just hear the sermon and do the little steps here. But perhaps God is saying, why don't you lean into me and pray and fast and seek me. And that's what happens. He begins now to say, here's how I overcame this situation in this man's life. But the man didn't have to have it all together. He still had doubt. And again, faith and hope, I believe, is found in the shadows of doubt. That's why I don't believe that doubt is a, a terrible thing. When I have somebody and I'm talking to them and they're not a believer yet, and they talk to me about their doubts. They're skeptical. They have questions about, about the Bible and about Jesus and about faith. I always think, man, that's a good thing. I'm glad they're, they're wrestling, they're talking about that kind of thing. Because if we don't have doubts, then it kind of leads us in a, in a couple of different directions here. One would be, uh, it would lead us in the direction of a uh, Kool-Aid kind of faith. And the other would be a cotton candy kind of faith. If we don't have any doubts, you just accept everything, you're willing to just drink the Kool-Aid. Uh, if, if you doubt everything completely, there is no God, and you're just kind of a wash in that, then... You have a cotton candy faith. There's really nothing to it. Cotton candy is just full of air. And so I, I think that perhaps behind us moving into the direction and then of hope and then of deeper faith, it starts with doubt. We need both faith and doubt. I know it sounds like an oxymoron. Soren Kierkegaard, he's a, a Danish theologian. He says that without doubt, there can be no faith. Without doubt, there can be no faith. Doubt is the starting point of faith. And I believe that God would say to you, you don't need to remain in doubt. You need to continue to walk with him and push in and discover him. So a lot of times what happens for, I think, Christians, we tend to categorize people. Like uh, there's people who are, they're just, they're unbelievers, they're doubters. And we would say um, they're in their own group. The unbelievers would look at believers and say, well, they're in their own group. But I think it's not so much a dividing line when it comes to doubt as much as doubt is a razor blade that cuts through every single human soul. We all come to this place where we wrestle with doubts. So the, the, the unbelievers look, or the believers look at the unbelievers and they say, well, they're just lost in moral confusion and, and they, they really don't have a grasp and they have despair. They've got a cotton candy kind of faith. And then unbelievers look at believers and they say, well, they're just a bunch of dogmatic, judgmental, non-thinking sheep who are willing just to drink all the Kool-Aid. But I believe that when we have doubt, it begins to move us in the direction of faith and discovery. And it's an important thing. So let, let me ask you, maybe you've come today and, and you're in this place of if, you're in this place of doubt about God. Let me ask you, do you really believe that God has given us his word, that it is inerrant, that, it, that it's true, that it's faultless, that in it, the original language, it, there is no error in his word? Do you believe there is a God? Like, and this God is triune, he's, he's Trinity, he's God the Father, and then he's God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in the Trinity and that Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the grave? Like, do you believe what we just read today? Like, Jesus actually delivered a young man from a demon. Like, the demon was in there controlling the young man. Jesus said, out, it gets out. Did he really heal a guy who had leprosy and the disease leaves right away? Did Jesus come and he spoke to people who were dead and said, hey, no longer dead, get up, walk. Did Jesus raise people from the dead? 
Do you believe that Jesus really caused people who had never ever seen before in their life, and he caused them to see like they can now see with their own eyes or paralyzed, never walked before, and he says, hey, get up and walk. Do you believe these things? Now, again, I would say if you're here and you're wrestling, maybe you're one of the skeptics. You're in that valley of if. Like, well, that would be nice if all of that happened. I want you to know that what you have right there is the making of faith. Doubt is the beginning of deeper hope moving you to faith. And God knows this. He knows this so well about human beings. I'm glad you wrestle, but don't stay there. You don't have to stay in the valley of doubt. In fact, some of Jesus' closest followers doubted. Remember when, when Jesus rose from the dead and the ladies saw Jesus out of the tomb walking around and they go back to the disciples and they say, we've seen Jesus alive. And the disciples go, I doubt that. Like, that would be nice. That sounds great. But we doubt that Jesus is alive. These are people who walked with him, heard him, spent the most time with him. I mean, his own followers, his own disciples, not just the 12, he had hundreds of followers. He had to prove that he was alive. Look, look at this. This is really interesting. Acts 1.3. Acts 1.3 says this. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He had to prove that he was alive to his own disciples. Like he is there in front of them, flesh and blood. Hi, I'm back. What? Yeah, I'm back. No. Prove it. His disciples, prove it. Jesus, prove that you, you're alive. Jesus, do that thing where you walk into the room without even opening up the door. That is really cool. Prove it. Jesus, can I see the nail marks in your hands and your feet? And would you be willing to show me where the spear went through your side? Just, I, I, need, I need to see it one more time. Uh, Jesus, prove that you're alive. Yeah, prove that you're alive uh, by telling me what song did I sing for you on your birthday? This is crazy, right? They're his disciples. He's standing right there in front of them, flesh and blood alive, and he's proving to them that he is alive. People, we doubt, but you don't have to stay in doubt. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ will move in your direction, even in the valley, even in the challenges that you have in your life. He is available for you. In fact, one of the disciples was labeled as like the major doubter. Right? I mean, I think Thomas kind of gets a bad rap because he just simply was talking about the very same things that other people were thinking. Look at this. It's in John 20. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails... And place my hand into his side. I'll never believe. Like if I, if I could just see Jesus for myself, then I'll believe. Until then, I, I, I can't believe it. It's really too good to be true. Thomas is in the valley of if, and he needs to be brought to the mountain of hope through an experience with Jesus Christ. He needs to move from this place of, man, it, it really would be nice if Jesus were alive. It would be really 
nice if he were alive because then I would know that my sins would be forgiven and I can have life then in him and all of the claims that he made about being God is true. That would be nice if, so that I could get to this place where I would say, Jesus, you're my Lord and you're my God. Now I trust and I believe in you. So for eight days, Jesus purposely leaves Thomas in the valley, the valley of if, unless I see him. Unless I put my fingers in his hands and in his side, I'm not going to believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And every time I picture that, I picture Jesus like just popping into the room, right? I mean, it's just like, what? Stop that, Jesus. Like, could you stand at the door and knock? Let's go there. And he just pops in, peace, because I just freaked you out. And then he says this, he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. The very same words that Thomas had said, he thought alone to the disciples, but he wasn't alone. Jesus was in the room. He just couldn't see him. Jesus was there in the valley of if, man, it would be nice if Jesus were here with me in this moment, but I'm not going to believe it until I encounter him. So place your hand, put it in my side. And then Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's all of you. That's all of you in the room right now who at one point in your life You were in the valley of if. You're in a valley of despair and doubt, and I'm not really sure that there's a God. I'm not really sure that there's a God who made me. I'm not really sure that God could love me with all of my baggage and all of my sin. And then somewhere along the line, Jesus Christ walks into that valley and fills your heart with faith and love, and you are wooed to his side, and you received him. You encountered the living God. He takes you out of the valley of sin and death and gives life to your spirit, bringing you on up to the mountain of hope, if you will. And I think that all of us can identify with Thomas in this moment because he wasn't there when the other disciples encountered Jesus. He he just wanted the same experience that they had. He just needed to know Jesus Christ for himself. There are some of you in this room, you need to know Jesus Christ for yourself. You can't live off of mom's faith or dad's faith or grandma's faith. You you can't just come to church and think that that would be enough. You need to encounter the living God, Jesus Christ, who is in this room right now and hears the whispers of your mind and your heart saying, it really would be nice if I could be loved by my creator that much and know him. That Jesus is in the valley with you. This week, as believers, we're going to have the opportunity to walk out into a world that is in the valley of if. And we have the opportunity to bring them to the mountain of hope, just like Jesus did for Thomas and Jesus did for the father in the book of Mark and the leper in the book of Matthew. There are people who are hopeless and in the valley. There are people who, through a simple act of kindness, remarkable kindness, will be able to move past if, because they're out there and they're wondering, is there really a God? 
Is there really a God who knows me and loves me and cares for me? Is there anybody else in this community who loves me? And for those of us who have received God's kindness, experienced him in the valley of our lives, been filled with his hope, we get to carry that hope propelled with a catalyst of moving in the direction of others and extending God's loving kindness to take them from the valley of hope, from the valley of if to the valley of, of this hope, moving them on up to this mountain of faith and knowing Jesus Christ for themselves personally. There's a world swimming in if and doubt. And you and I have been branded by Christ, filled with his kindness, filled with faith to march forward and bring others up the mountain. Some of you in this room right now, you're in the valley of if. You have doubts. Some of you are Christians who have doubts. Is God going to leave me here? Am I going to be experiencing this the rest of my life? Will he come through? Will he provide a miracle? Some of you are in the valley of if and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're like, I'm not really sure if I can ever experience the love of Christ. I'm telling you, in that valley, Jesus will meet you. Will you meet him? Will you turn to him and begin to experience his hope and faith? Let's pray. Father, all of us, this is common to all of us, we all have doubts. And Lord, I would pray for all of us in this room that we would not be awash in if. We would not be awash in doubt. But that we would lift up our eyes and look to you. That we would find you sufficient in the valley enjoying you on the mountaintop, but no matter what, giving you glory and honor in the middle of all of it, you have always been faithful. You are always dependable, down in our lowest moment, down in the valley. And so, Father, I pray for each one in this room who may be there now, would you fill their hearts supernaturally in this moment, showing them your love. In your name I pray. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.